I was tempted to run up here because we're beginning a, a series on the book of Jonah, a prophet on the run. We don't want to run the way he ran in this chapter because he was running from God. But chapter 2, he runs to God. Chapter 3, he runs with God. And then sadly, chapter 4, he runs against God. So we're going to focus on this book of Jonah. Every time I study the book of Jonah, I learn something new. And I hope you will say as well that you've learned something today. Sometimes we look at these familiar stories and say, well, I've heard that before. Well, God's Word is fresh and living, and we have the privilege of opening His Word this morning. Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. There was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord. Do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. 
Uh, thank you, Father, for this uh, account of, in the life of Jonah and what you would want to do to teach us today, Lord, that it does not pay to run from you. Guide us, O God, into your truth. Your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Jonah begins with God's command. Get up and go to the land of, or the city of Nineveh. And so God's will for Jonah wasn't hard to understand, was it? There's nothing complicated about this. Get up and go to the city of Nineveh. But Jonah clearly didn't want to go to Nineveh. He may have been willing to do other things, maybe just about anything except go to Nineveh. In his mind, this was not going to happen. He was determined that he was not going to follow the will of God, and so off he went running. And there's two ways to look at Jonah's running here. Notice, first of all, that Jonah ran from a great need. A great need. There are several places in the book of Jonah where we find the word great. In fact, in chapter 1, we find the word great four times. And the first time we find it then is in verse 2, where it describes the city of Nineveh as a great city. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, there's several ways in which Nineveh was a great city. It was great in importance. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, a nation of worldwide prominence during the time of Jonah. And it is among the oldest cities mentioned in Scripture, dating back to shortly after the flood. So that city had been there a long time when Jonah finally went there. Nineveh was also a city that was great in size. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Now, I don't know how far you can walk in one day, but if you think of a three days walk, that is a pretty large city. Historians tell us that greater Nineveh was a complex of several cities and their suburbs and was about 60 miles in circumference. Now, I don't know how that compares to some of the cities here in the Twin Cities. In that day, that was a large city. And Nineveh was, was great in population. If you go to the very last verse of the book, chapter 4, verse 11, the Lord says this to Jonah, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right and their left? Now, that's not Norwegians. I don't think there were many Norwegians. They're talking about, he's talking about little children. If there are 120,000 little children who didn't know their right from their left hand, how large then was that city? As some suggest it could have been as large as 600,000 people to a million. 
a great city in many ways. The most important way in which this was a great city is in this sense, that as far as God was concerned, Nineveh was a city that had a great spiritual need. A great spiritual need, didn't it? Because this city was doomed to judgment unless someone came to them with the message of salvation to turn them back to God that they might repent of their sins and avoid judgment. And Jonah was the one who was to tell them. Get up, Jonah. Go to that great city. And you cry out against it. You warned them that there is a day of judgment that is coming. Now notice in verse 2 it says, Their wickedness has come up before me. That's an expression that should possibly ring a bell in our minds because this picture of Nineveh is similar to what we see described about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. And we know what Sodom and Gomorrah was like. And listen to what it says in Genesis 18, verse 20 and 21. The Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come up to me. So that similar expression would suggest to us that just as Sodom and Gomorrah was worthy of judgment, Nineveh also was worthy of judgment. It was an evil place. An evil place. I have read from several sources what the people of Nineveh were like. What the Assyrians were like. The way they treated their enemies is so gruesome, I can't even describe it to you in this setting. It was so awful how they treated their enemies. It's just almost, you ask yourself, how could people be so evil to treat people in that way? So if there was ever a city that needed to hear about the judgment of God and the forgiveness of God, it was Nineveh. Nineveh. Now prior to Jonah's call to go to Nineveh, he had been an obedient prophet. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 24, he was told to prophesy that God was going to restore the border of Israel. Now, that was good for his people, right? But this call of God now to go to Nineveh was a whole different story in the mind of Jonah. He was asked to proclaim a message not to benefit Israel, but to benefit Nineveh. And Jonah had a problem with that, didn't he? In his mind, they didn't deserve to be spared from judgment. In fact, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he feared that if he did, God might actually spare them. And he did not want that. Do you know how we know that? 
You go to chapter 4, verse 1. After Nineveh repented and Jonah is pouting, he is mad. Here's what he says. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my country? What did he say? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate. I knew that you are slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. I knew this would happen. If I obeyed you and went and I proclaimed God's word to Nineveh, they'd actually repent and you'd spare them. That's why I didn't want to go. Quite interesting for a prophet, isn't it? I sure hope they don't listen to this message today. Can you imagine me standing in the pulpit and saying, boy, I sure hope they don't repent. I mean, it's hard to fathom. And that, that, that's what was in Jonah's mind. If I go, they'll, God will spare them. And we certainly don't want that. One author observes that while the issue of Jonah's personal safety may have been a factor... It certainly was not the predominant one. He says the issue was fear. Fear that the Ninevites might repent and be spared the disaster that they deserved. Now, how did Jonah know that God is gracious and compassionate? How did he know that God is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity? How did he know that? He knew that because he had experienced that. But he didn't want others to experience that, especially the people of of Nineveh. Lord, you've been good to me, you've been good to my people, but I certainly don't want you to be good to them. Those awful Assyrians, those awful Ninevites. It's like he didn't fully grasp the fact that none of us None of us deserve the mercy of God. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve to be spared from judgment, right? You believe that? I hope you do. It is only the mercy and grace of God that forgives us and saves us. Jonah knew that. But he didn't want the Ninevites to experience that. So Jonah ran from a great need. The people of Nineveh needed to hear of their need to repent. Notice, secondly, Jonah ran from a great God. A great God. Verse 3 says, Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, our text describes his journey in, in two ways. Uh, one way, geographically, right? Jonah sailed for Tarshish. Where is Tarshish? In comparison to Nineveh, Tarshish is the very opposite direction. Okay? <laughs> God says, you go this way. Jonah says, nope, I'm going that way. 
wasn't very subtle about it, was he? And what's interesting is that Tarshish, from what we can gather, was, was probably located in, in Spain. And many believe it was the westernmost point in the known world at that time. <laughs> As if to say, I'm going to the end of the earth, right? When we lived in Minot, North Dakota, they used to say, it ain't the end of the earth, but you can see it from there. And everybody in the Air Force wanted to go to Minot, right? Yeah. You know how I ended up going there to serve as a pastor when I landed at the airport in Minot, taxiing to the terminal, and there was a sign that said, why not Minot? I said, why not? So we ended up in, in Minot. So he went the very opposite direction. A trip to Tarshish was no small task, especially in those days. To get to the port of Joppa, to get on the ship, that was 60 miles. Okay, so that took several days for Jonah to get there. Tarshish was hundreds of miles from there. The distance from Nineveh, where Jonah should have gone, to Tarshish, where he was headed, one author says was about 2,000 miles. A little off track, huh? And there was a risk in heading out into the ocean, wasn't there? Never knew what was going to happen there. One commentary says that he was prepared to risk his life at sea rather than face up to God's call is another point to verify his determination. For the Hebrews were basically people of the land. They weren't the travelers on on the ocean. And then he says, the hearers of the story of Jonah would see such a venture as a proof positive of his mad determination. That's Jonah. He is determined not to go God's way. He is determined to go the very opposite way. And off he went. So what does that tell us about Jonah's commitment to God's will? He wasn't the least bit interested. Not a bit. He was not the least bit interested about God's call. Jonah is like many today who whose obedience to God is conditional. As long as it fits with my goals, my plans, my desires, I'm on board. But God, if you ask me to go to Nineveh, if you call me to do something else that doesn't fit with my plan, I'm heading the other way. I want no part of it. So geographically, he headed the opposite direction. And spiritually, he, he ran away from the Lord. We, we find that phrase twice in verse 3, from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah was a prophet. He wasn't dumb, right? He knew the scriptures. Did he think you could actually get away from the presence of the Lord? Can you get away from the presence of the Lord? He's everywhere, right? I mean, you can't get away from him. And one of the passages that's clearest about that, which I assume Jonah knew because David wrote Psalm 139. What did he say there? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you were there. 
If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. And how about this? If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea. Ah, that sounds like Jonah. Even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Jonah wasn't dumb. He knew that you could not actually free, flee from God. And that's why one author says, by fleeing from the Lord's presence, Jonah announces emphatically his unwillingness to serve God. His action is nothing less than open rebellion against God's sovereignty. That's what it is. It's rebellion. When God says, you go here and you say, no, I'm going there, let's call it what it is. It's rebellion. Not choosing to do something different. It is rebellion against God. So Jonah wasn't actually actually trying to hide from God as much as he was resigning. I'm done. I'm not going to go. And so I'm going to go the opposite direction. Did you notice in verse 4 that it says he went down to Joppa? Now I know that that's elevation-wise. But isn't that a picture of the direction of his life at this time? He was going down. He was going down. Anytime you run from God, you're going down. Don't ever forget that. It never pays to run from the Lord. Now, in the midst of this rebellion, you see the, the greatness of God. God could have said, find them. huh? You want to go? Go. I'll find someone else. But God didn't do that. He lovingly, through some very, what, painful things, he disciplined his prophet. And we see this word great used quite often. The Lord used a great wind, verse 4. The Lord hurled, (laughs) I love that, he hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Now, there's nothing uncommon about a storm on the ocean, right? Happens often. But this storm had a special purpose. It was caused by a great wind that the Lord hurled in order to stop his fleeing prophet. And so this was no coincidence. This was not bad luck. This was the sovereign hand of God, and this storm was so powerful that it almost broke the ship to pieces. You kind of get the impression that it had to be severe enough to get Jonah's attention, because what is he doing in the midst of this? He is down in the bottom of the ship, sleeping. And you ask, how could he sleep at a time like that? Well, the wind got the attention of the sailors, right? It was so bad that they actually prayed. That's bad, isn't it? When pagan people pray, and so they prayed. They had experienced storms before, but they seemed to have a sense, an uneasy feeling that this storm was different. 
The suddenness of the storm seemed to suggest that there was maybe a divine purpose in it. God was trying to get someone's attention. And he was going to use these sailors as his spokesmen. Isn't that interesting? God can use pagan people to speak to us. Have you had that happen before? Maybe you've been rebuked by someone who is not a Christian because of something in your life. God has ways of getting our attention even through those who don't know the Lord, through these sailors. He certainly does. The Lord used these pagan men in in several ways. The captain had to tell Jonah to pray. Isn't that interesting? They're concerned. They're crying out to their gods. And and the captain comes to Jonah in verse 6. And he says, how is it that you are sleeping? I think he said it maybe louder more. Get up. Call on your God. How do you think that felt as a prophet when a pagan sailor has to tell you to pray? Isn't it time to get down on your knees and pray, Jonah? Homer Haley says that Jonah was the only atheist on board. (laughs) Everyone else was praying but him. And some have wondered how in the world could he be sleeping? But here was a man who had been mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. And when he finally got on board that boat, he just crashed. (laughs) Like some dads, when the baby's crying at night, you know, little one is bellering out and dad's just, you know, and then mom is trying to get the baby back to sleep. And then in the morning, the father has the gall to say, oh, Baby must have slept good last night, huh? Yeah, you slept good. I didn't sleep good. And the baby didn't sleep good. How could you sleep through this, huh? Well, there's Jonah sleeping. And then the sailors cast lots. And guess what happens? Jonah was was chosen. Verse 7, each man said to his mate, come let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. I wonder if Jonah thought of Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Ah, yep, it's me. And then notice all the questions that they asked him that pointed him back to God. They said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? Well, that was an easy answer. That's me. What is your occupation? (laughs) Um, He couldn't say a plumber. Well, yeah, I guess I'm a, a prophet. Where do you come from? Well, the land of Israel. What's your country? From what people are you? Every question they asked Jonah reminded him of his disobedience, didn't it? Every question. I don't think that was a coincidence. And so he responds to them, I am a Hebrew. 
And I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And I bet you the sailors are thinking, really? Really? You fear this God who has sent this storm and you are running from Him? That did not compute, did it? In their minds. How could you not fear this God who made the heavens and the earth? And so they rebuked him in verse 10. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? How on earth could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. If the God that Jonah feared was the God who created all things, How would he ever dare to run from him? And yet he did. Interesting to notice then how the sailors showed mercy to Jonah. Think of it. These sailors were going to show mercy to him. Verse 11. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said, pick me up. Throw me into the sea. And then the sea will become calm because... The storm is because of, of me. But notice what they did. Instead of tossing him overboard, they tried to save his life. Verse 13, the men rowed desperately to return to the land, but they could not because the storm was becoming greater. And finally, when it was clear that they had no choice but to throw him overboard, they reluctantly did it, right? Look at verse 14 and 15. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, you've done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. You see how God used these men in Jonah's life? These pagan sailors had more concern for Jonah than he had for the people of Nineveh. They showed him mercy. They tried to save him. And I can't help but think that this was part of what God was was saying to Jonah. Look at what these guys did. These pagan sailors had mercy on you. They tried to save you. And you... You don't want to offer any mercy to the people of Nineveh. This made an impact on those sailors. Because verse 16 says, Then the men feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They showed more fear of God than Jonah did, didn't they? They asked, who are you? I'm a Hebrew. I fear God. Well, it seems to me that they had more fear of God, at least at this point, than than Jonah did. 
And I would suggest to you that this is a powerful example of the greatness of God. Jonah had been rebellious. He had been disobedient. He had deliberately gone in the opposite direction that God wanted him to go. And yet, God still did something significant in the lives of those sailors. Not because of Jonah, but in spite of Jonah. John Phillips says this, Jonah is the classic biblical example of how God does His perfect work with an imperfect instrument. Was Jonah an imperfect instrument? Absolutely. But guess what? We are too. Aren't we? Sometimes I ask myself, how can God work through me? But God takes an imperfect instrument, like Jonah, like me, like you. And He has ways of of working through our lives, imperfect as we are. Now, if I was the Lord, I don't know that I would have had as much mercy on Jonah as God did. (laughs) I think I would have said, you know what? You don't care about them, I'll find someone else. You have no concern for for the people of Nineveh? I'll find someone else. But God didn't give up on Jonah. Verse 17 says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, three days and three nights. Hmm. Where have we heard of that before. I think you know, don't you? So when we read this verse, we can't help but see the mercy of God, not just because He spared Jonah, but because this points us to who? To Jesus. In fact, here's what Jesus said, Matthew 12, starting at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from You. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. And here's the comparison. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so there's that picture of Jesus. The time frame, three days and three nights. But I think it goes beyond that. And here's something that I learned, uh, just studying this again. When you look at the sailors and what they did as they tried to save themselves from the storm, who did they need to be saved? Starts with a J and ends with an H. Jonah, right? Think of it. They cried out to their false gods to no avail. They tried to lighten the load of the ship by throwing things overboard, but it it didn't help. They tried to roll back to shore, but the storm grew worse. What is that picture? All of this pictures a man's fruitless efforts to be spared from eternal death Because everything they tried to do to save themselves didn't work. 
It didn't work. There was one way for them to be saved. That was through Jonah. Right? So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea may become calm for us? And he says, pick me up. and Throw me in. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. So they picked him up and they threw them into the sea. Threw them into the sea. And what happened? This, the sea became calm. Now, did you notice how Jonah willingly offered himself to save them? He laid down his life for them because he knew that it was their only hope of being saved. Is there a parallel here? (laughs) Isn't this what Jesus has done for us? He willingly laid down his life for us and that is our only hope of salvation, right? Our only hope. And so, the question, have you accepted that gift of salvation? If you haven't, you need to come to Jesus today, right? He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. And then if you have accepted that gift of salvation, what's the lesson here for you? God has a mission for you and me. God has a Nineveh for you. And it may not be your first choice. <laughs> Could that ever be? I discovered that when I was in college. God's first choice was different than my first choice. And finally I said, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. Actually, it was New Hope. That's where I lived in seminary. And now I'm back in this whole area again. But God has a mission for everyone who knows Jesus. And so I would say, don't run from it. Don't run from a great need. And don't run from a great God. God can give you both the desire and the strength to go to your Nineveh. That might be right in your own neighborhood. Might be somewhere else. But are you willing to say, Lord, here am I, like Isaiah. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Father, thank you for this word today. Would you use it, God, to remind us of Jesus, what he's done for us. Jesus, our only hope of salvation. Remind us of the mission that you've given to us to proclaim that good news wherever you would lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.